to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We're going to start today by taking another survey. I'm going to make two statements, and I want to see which one you agree with. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, I want to hear both of them before I know. Well, they're just opposite of each other. So as soon as you hear the first one, you're either going to agree with it or disagree with it. If you agree with it, put your hand up. If you disagree with it, wait for the second statement, okay? So here's the poll, if you would participate. Which of these two statements is true? First one, things are getting worse. How many of you say things are getting worse? Okay, good. Lots and lots of hands. How many of you would say things are getting better? Got quite a few hands there. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, you may be questioning like, well, it depends. What are you talking about? And to be honest with you, it really does depend. What are we talking about? If you're talking about your personal life, And let's stop and do that. In your own personal life, forget about what's going on around you, but in your own personal life, how many of you would say things are getting better? We got more hands than we did before. And I won't ask you to raise your hand if you say things are getting worse because we know you're not wanting a pity party. But again, it depends on the category. If you talk about your family, if you talk about your job, for you students, if you talk about the fact that school has started... Some would say, oh, things are great, I like school. Some would say, oh, no, school started, things are getting worse. But our focus anyway, we started last week, going to go for a couple more weeks, is the world around us. And I would just say that in general, from my perspective, you can disagree with me if you want, but in general, I believe the situation in our world is bad and getting worse. It's bad and it's getting worse. We are seeing an increase, and it's not just recent, it's, you know, if you look at the history of humankind, there have been ebbs and flows of these kind of things and, and all that kind of stuff, but we see an increasing decay of social and moral conditions. We're seeing an opposition to God and to his word and what his word says about everything, but especially about our lifestyles, and because of that, a growing opposition to God's people who stand for the truth and live it out. Just in general, those are the things that we see. And it leads to both people inside the church and outside the church. It leads to perhaps sometimes a growing anxiety, maybe fear, um, discouragement, depression, anger, and in some people increasing violence and crime. Now, some of you may hear all of that and say, Pastor... You need to be more positive. Okay. I'm positive things are getting worse. Now, let me be very quick to say, I'm one of the biggest proponents of saying we should always look on and focus on the positive in our lives. Because no matter how bad things get in our own personal lives or in the world right around us or in the world in general, if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord, God is on our side. God is actively at work in our lives. And as we cooperate with him, we can have his peace, joy, and love, and we can have victory in and through and over every situation 
no matter what happens. So even though we've been focusing last week, this weekend, next week, maybe a little bit beyond that, we'll see. On the stuff that's happening in the world that's just getting bad, we always want to make sure our primary focus is on God and what He's doing. Because if we just focus on God and what He's doing, things are great. The problem is we have to live in this sinful, fallen human world. You know, we see Jesus... In one little statement, kind of balancing these two things out. In the upper room, when he's talking to his disciples right before he's going to be betrayed, he gives them a lot of instructions. He gives them a lot of positive things like the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to guide you, lead you, empower you, blah, blah, blah. But by the way, I'm leaving, which is a negative thing. Things are going to get really, really tough and all this. And then he gets toward the end of that discussion. And in chapter 16, verse 33, not our text, but just real quick, he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. You'll have trouble. I've always said that's the one promise of Jesus we don't want to claim. It's a promise. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I've overcome the world. That's the balance we've got to have. You know, these deteriorating conditions were not a surprise to Jesus and his followers. They expected it. Jesus himself, plus those God used to write those documents that would be included in his word, talked a lot about the goodness of God and all he was doing, but yet this world that we live in that causes so much trouble that is just dealing with all kinds of anti-God stuff. And therefore, in God's word, we have these things that are very encouraging, but also these warnings. And these instructions about how we should live in these kind of times. They're often called the last days or the end times. We mentioned last week the end times started when Jesus ascended to heaven. So we've been living in the last days for a long time. Jesus is going to come back and put an end to all this mess, but he hasn't yet. But we have to live in the mess. So what can we do about it? How should we respond Well, the good news is God's word gives us a lot of information about how to do that. And so that's what we've been looking at. We've been talking, starting last week, the series is The Last Day's Lifestyle. A Last Day's Lifestyle. Last week, many of you were here, some of you were not. And if you weren't, I encourage you to go back and watch it or listen to it um, on our website. But we began this sermon series with a message called Warnings for the Last Days. And we looked at what Jesus said about it in Matthew 24. A quick recap is that Jesus said that we should not be deceived because it's even possible for believers to be drawn into what our culture says, what our world says, to be accepted. This is the way things are. This is the way things should be. And the pressure against God and God's people, against God's standards, against God's instructions, we need to be very, very careful to not be deceived. He says, be very careful not to be dismayed. We just talked about that. Don't let this bad news get you down because God's still in control. And he's going to deal with it. And he's at work behind the scenes. And then last of all, don't be distracted. Because of all this stuff going on, we can be so distracted from what God wants us to do. What does God want us to do? He wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He wants us to love other people and tell them about Jesus. So again, summary, if you didn't get it last week, I encourage you to go back and do that. Today, the title of the message is Difficulties of the Last Days. 
difficulties of the last days. And we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. A little bit shorter passage today. We're going to read it all the way through, and then we're going to dig in to see what it means, and then we're going to talk about what it means for us today. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Paul is writing to Timothy. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. We're going to talk about three different types of difficulties that we as believers living in this fallen sinful world have to face. And then we're going to talk about three specific applications that I've drawn from this passage. And the first difficulty that we face is that we face difficult times. We face difficult times. That's kind of the foundation of why we're even talking about this today, last week, next week. In verse 1 it says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. We face difficult times. And Paul starts this statement by saying, understand this. The original word there means know this. It's, it's the word for know. There's a couple different words for know, but this one is really get into it, really examine this, really pay attention, really take this seriously. Make sure you understand what's going on. In the, these last days, we face difficult times. You know, as believers in Jesus Christ... Our goal, our focus should be to pray and believe for the best. You know, we pray for that in our own personal life. We pray that for each other. We pray it for our world. We pray it for the church. We pray for a great revival. You know, when we talk about things getting worse, I would love to see a great revival that starts in God's church and then begins to spread throughout our culture and it just changes the, the flow of things to where things would actually start getting better in our culture. And that has happened in the United States. It's happened in other places throughout the world, throughout history. It's not the, the normal trend of things. It's not the way things normally go. But we should pray for that. We should believe for that. But we also have to realize that even if that happens, things are still going to eventually get worse because that's what God's word says. The world is on a collision course with eternity. And in general, the world is under a system, a spiritual system that affects every area of life that is anti-God. And even when there may be temporary victories, either on a personal level or on a bigger level or even in culture because God's spirit moves and people responds, there's still going to be that battle. Spiritual warfare is real for each of us as individuals and for the church of Jesus Christ. The enemy is going to keep fighting back. He'll do it in obvious ways. He'll do it in subtle ways. He'll do it to try to get 
um, unscriptural teaching to creep into the church. In fact, much of First and Second Timothy is Paul's instructions to Timothy about false teachers that have crept into the church and are trying to steer it the wrong direction to get people away from God and his standards and his truth. We will always fight this battle, this spiritual warfare. And you know, we talk about these difficult times, and when we do, we often focus on the circumstances. In fact, last week, I started out the sermon by listing, you know, I told you that I just did some brainstorming, and I started making a list of all the crazy, weird, bad stuff that's happening in the world, and it started getting longer and longer, and I said, I quit. And I read that list to you. A shortened list of it is that we, the circumstances we're facing is rebellion against God's morality, We focus on, we see injustice, we see violence and crime, the economy, politics, personal problems. And again, I'm not going to get into the full long list. But most often when we think about difficulties in the last times, we think of circumstances. And we talked a lot about those circumstances last week. But we see in this passage that Paul's not focusing so much on the circumstances as he is on the root of the problem. What is it that's causing all of these difficulties? And we find that as we face difficult times, the root of these difficult times is the second thing. We face difficult people. We face, we deal with, we interact with, we have around us difficult people. Now, I'm not talking about the problem you've got with your spouse or your kids or your parents But I will tell you that any of the problems that we have with each other, even in the body of Christ, the root comes down to the same thing. So Paul, rather than, as he has in other places, make a list of the really weird things, difficult things, evil things, sinful things that are taking place in the world or will take place, he focuses on the root cause, which is the people. The people. And so here in these couple of verses... He lists, whichever way you look at it, 18 or 19, I decided to go with the 19, character traits that may manifest themselves in people's lives that are causing difficulty, that are anti-God, that lead to all the problems that we see going on in the world and we see going on around us and maybe even in our own personal relationships. And And my goal is to take a look at these character traits, each one individually, but to do it very, very, very quickly. And by the way, lists like this are found all through the New Testament. Jesus had a couple of times that he just said, you know, this is the characteristics of this world. He says, these people, this people, you know, they need their hearts changed. In almost every one of Paul's books, except, or letters, except for a couple of them, he has a place where he talks about this world's going crazy, you know, it's, it's, it, and we've got to fight against these things in our lives, and God wants to change us and, and turn us around. This particular list, let's take a look at these one by one very quickly. And the first one is lovers of self. And to be honest with you, I really believe that this is at the root of everything else. Lovers of self. This means the most important person in my life is me. Okay? This is not talking about having a positive self-esteem, which is a good thing. This is not talking about, hey, God made us so we are fearfully and wonderfully made, as Scripture says. God values us. He values us so much that he died for us. Jesus died for us. 
This is talking about someone, this talks about the character trait of someone who lives totally and completely for themselves. Someone who says, it's all about me. And I would say that pretty much all the other things on this list and most of the other things you can think of flow from this attitude and this orientation in our lives. When self-love is the center of life, Relationship with God and relationship with other people are at the minimal damaged and at the maximum they're destroyed. He says they're lovers of self. He says they're lovers of money. That just kind of follows along. If, it's, if I'm all about me, I want what I can get. And how do I get it? I get it with money. I would incorporate in here not just money but things. It's talking basically about the attitude of greed in this I'm sorry, in uh, Paul's first letter to Timothy, he talks about how um, the root of all kinds of evil is the love of money. He doesn't say money is the root of evil or all kinds of evil. He says the love of money. Jesus warned against greed in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. So greed. Then he says here, proud. They're proud. That word means boastful. There's this haughty self-promotion. They don't mind letting everybody know how great they are. It's their attitude toward themselves. The next one is very, very similar. It's arrogant. In fact, this one is often translated proud too because it's so similar. But arrogant means that because of the pride, they treat other people with contempt. So the proud and arrogant are kind of like the same thing. It's just different manifestations. Proud is your internal attitude and you just let it out there and then the arrogant is the contempt that you then pour on other people because they don't begin to measure up to you. He says abusive. It's talking about slandering and mistreating other people. Disobedient to their parents. You know, this is a... a... uh, character trait that we see talked about all through scripture. In fact, it's one of the Ten Commandments, to have an honor and a respect, and when younger and under their authority, obedience to parents. In fact, it was such an important character trait, it was not only important to God's people, the Jews in the Old Testament and the Christians in the New Testament, but it was considered an important character trait in the Roman society, in the Greek society, I mean, in the world in general, if you didn't have the proper respect for your parents and Basically, for anyone who is elder than you, that was a major character flaw. The seventh one is ungrateful. It means not thankful. You've gotten goodness in your life and you don't care about being grateful for it. Just take advantage of it and go on. Unholy. In this context, it basically means that you have no relationship with God. You're living life without God. You live a totally secular life. You have heartless, number nine, that is literally without love, without natural affection. You are so focused, this person is so focused on themselves that they really don't have feelings for other people. Their only concern about interaction with other people is for how it can benefit them. It can also be translated hard-hearted, unfeeling, with regard, without regard for others. The next one is unappeasable. It also means unforgiving, irreconcilable. It means that when there's a difficulty between this person and somebody else, they don't care. They have no interest in trying to work it out. In fact, they refuse to because obviously they're right. 
They have no desire to try to work things out. The eleventh one is slanderous. The root word for this is the exact same root word for the title of the devil. One who slanders. One who, um, whose whole purpose is to accuse others. To be an adversary of other people. Without self-control. Basically says, I'm not going to worry about controlling myself. Whatever I want to do, I'm going to do it. I don't care how it affects anybody else. I don't care how it affects circumstances. You know, I'm going to do and live totally and completely according to my feelings and my desires. Thirteenth one is brutal. means savage, fierce, untamable, unmerciful, cruel. I know there's a lot of overlap between some of these. Fourteen, not loving good. In other words, there's no interest in what's good for other people. In fact, it can even be interpreted as someone who is actually an enemy of that which is good. But it's like, I don't care. If, as long as I get what I want and I'm focused on me, I don't care whether it's good or not. Not loving good. Fifteen, treacherous. Means someone who's a traitor, who's a betrayer. This is a word that's used for Judas and what he did in his situation with Jesus. And these disciples are going to face this because they're going to be people that are going to turn against them and turn them into the authorities so they can be persecuted. But treacherous. They have reckless, which basically means rash, hasty. You know, again, a person so focused on themselves, that looks good. I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to think about it. Just do it. Just do it. That's what's best for me right now. 17, swollen with conceit. I, I was reading and studying this. Says, one person put it this, they are greatly impressed with themselves. I like that definition. Number 18, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In other words, they do worship a God. And that God is themselves, and whatever makes them feel good. And because of that, God is left totally out of the picture. They put their self in the place of God as the center of their affections. And their only worship is self-gratification. What will make me happy? And then number 19, some Bible scholars say it's a separate one. Some say it's kind of a summary. Some of it's a warning that these people can actually be in the church Whatever way you want to look at it, I just put it as number 19. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. What this means is that unless you really know them, and you see what they're really like, they can look really good on the outside. But on the inside, this is what their world is all about. They haven't been changed They may be putting on a mask. Why would they do that if they're all about themselves? Because that's the best way to get what they want. Perhaps they found that to get what they want, they have to put on this show. They have to put on this mask. Or maybe part of what they want is to be thought well of other people, so they have to cover over what they really like on the inside. So Paul says some of these people, they look really godly. They may look like great Christians until you really get to know them. You know, Jesus said some similar things about the religious leaders of his day. Talked about hypocrites. Paul talked about that too. People who look good on the outside, but inside, there's some major, major, major problems. Do you know anybody like this? 
Now, we would probably each say, I don't know anybody that exhibits all these character traits to the ultimate degree, but I don't degree, but I don't think that's the purpose of Paul giving this. I think what he's trying to tell us is that this is the kind of people that are out there that have rejected God and his influence in their lives, and this is what it leads to. And each of these character traits can be held or can be part of a person's life to a smaller degree or a greater degree. But what he's saying is that this is the type of thing that people allow in their lives and they promote in their lives. They allow their character to be developed this way that leads to all this difficulty. So we may not be able to say, well, I do know somebody that they, I mean, that list describes them perfectly. But we could look at each of those character traits and maybe group a couple here, a couple there and say, yeah, I see that. I mean, we just, we can look at what's happening in the news and say, there are definitely probably people that have these character traits that's behind that. As my wife mentioned in her prayer, I don't know if you saw it in the news, but this shooting in Jacksonville just yesterday. And because of things that were said, done, written, and stuff, it is beyond the shadow of a doubt from what seems to be from the things that happened that this shooting was definitely based on race and hatred. It's wrong. And we don't have to know the people to say, some of these character traits were probably in that person's heart and in their life, and it didn't just show up overnight. It was something that was developed. We can probably see the same thing in just about everything else we look at in the news and we see where this terrible thing has happened, this this ungodly thing, this evil thing. And we could probably surmise, and correctly so, that the people that were were, were propagating, that, that carried that out, these character traits, they were there. I know it's a big discussion and we don't discuss politics here, but there's a lot of this stuff involved in politics. Why people do the things they do. Why they pursue what they pursue. But I want to tell you something. If you look at this list, it sounds terrible. And it is. But basically what this list is, is sinful human nature without the influence of God and his standards taken to the extreme. This basically is a list of what life is like without God if it's pursued to the extreme. And if a person doesn't just make a decision that, yes, I still don't believe in God, but I'm still not going to live for myself, I'm going to live for other people, that could, that could mellow it out quite a bit. But that's what we have here. So we face difficult times, we face difficult people, and the third thing is we face difficult relationships. We face difficult relationships. You know, he wraps this all up in the second part of verse 5 by saying, avoid such people. Now, I read that and I think, man, what does Paul mean by that? Because as we look at the rest of Scripture, we see that God, through Jesus himself and through Paul and all the New Testament teachers and preachers, says you are in this sinful world and you're not going to get out of it until God takes you out of it or until he comes back. And while you're here, you've got a job to do. Love God, love people, and share Jesus with others. How do we do that if we say, I'm going to avoid anybody that has any of these character traits? And unfortunately, through the years, there have been times that the church or groups of the church have had that mentality of, you know what, we're just going to get together with all the other believers, and it's us four and no more, and we're going to have great fellowship together, and we're going to get together on Sunday mornings and whenever else, and we're going to love one another, and we're going to worship God, and we're going to support and encourage one another. All those things that should happen, but we're going to isolate and insulate ourselves from the world as much as possible. 
Some have gone so far to say that I'm only going to go to a Christian school, which are great things to do if that's what God wants you to do. I'm only going to go to a Christian college. I'm only going to work for a Christian boss, for a Christian company. I'm going to do everything I can to isolate myself from anybody who's not a Christian. And that is not God's plan for us. So what does Paul mean here? I mean, God is speaking through. He says, avoid such people. Does this mean that we should stay away from unbelievers? That seems to contradict what I just said. Does it mean that we just have to stay away from people with these characteristics? And if that's the case, how do we measure it? Because what if they have these characteristics but not very much, just a little bit? You know, where's the sliding scale? Well, if a person shows a lot of self-focus and they're up to this point, I can still talk to them. But boy, once they cross over this point, I've got to avoid them. What, what in the world does Paul mean here? And if we do that, how are we going to reach them? I know what, we'll just slide tracks under the door at their house. No, no. I, you know, the, the primary way in the Bible to share the gospel is through relationship. Well, we're going to dig more deeply into what he meant by that when we get to the application. So let's jump to the application. Now, I told you we're going to have three things, three difficulties we face, but then three ways we're going to apply it. And there's more than that, more ways than that we can apply this passage. But these are the three things that God laid on my heart for us, for me, today. Okay? The first one is this, is purify your character. Say, wait, wait, wait a minute, pastor. We're talking about those people. That's part of the problem. I said that these characteristics, these character traits, are basically sinful human nature without the influence of God taking to extreme. But can I tell you that even though, if we're believers, Jesus Christ has saved us from our sins, we still battle our sinful nature. And if we're going to be honest, when we read this list, and it's one of the reasons why I took a little bit of time to try to at least give a little bit deeper understanding and focus on what these words, these character traits are all about. If we're going to be honest, we'd say, you know what, I see a little bit of that in me. If we're going to be really honest, we could say, I see a little bit more than a little bit of that in me. And I would say that before we start pointing fingers and we look around us, we need to look inside. Because we can get so busy talking about how terrible the world is and all those evil people out there, and I know some of them, and we're so focused on them, we don't allow God to change us. And I would say that that's the first thing that God... Put it this way, this is the first thing that God's put on my heart from this passage is I need to look at myself. I need to purify my character. I need to look at this list and other like them in Scripture and say, hey, to what degree is this character trait a part of my life? And what am I doing about it? It's so easy to look outside of ourselves. I want to challenge you to go back Today, this week, sometime, look at this passage and prayerfully go through this list and check your life, check your heart, check your mind, check your character against this list. Not because I believe you're going to come out and you're going to be so condemned because you're a horrible person. But because God always wants to be involved in our lives and making us more and more like Jesus Christ. And to be honest, that should be one of our greatest desires. I want to become more like Jesus. I want to get rid of anything in my life, not just the actions and the words, but the character traits that are not pleasing to God. I want the sin 
out of my life? In what ways do I give in to the flesh? My sinful human nature. In what ways do I give in to society's pressures? As I told you, God spoke to my heart in preparing this message. I always pray that he does it all the time. One of the questions I try to ask myself, every once in a while I forget, but, you know, in the process of preparing a message, and especially at the end, is saying, God, how does this apply to me? And in asking that question over the last couple of days, I felt led, well, sit down and look at the list and look at your heart. And I went through and did that yesterday. Of these 19 things, there's things I don't relate to at all. Okay? I could be blind to myself, but I don't see myself as someone who is abusive or likes to be abusive or, or whatever. Uh, and anything that may not be true, it's only the grace of God. But can I tell you that out of this list, I found eight or nine of them that I said, you know what, Lord? I can see that tendency in my heart. Especially going way back to the first one that really is kind of the basis of all lovers of self. You know what? We are all lovers of self. The question is, what do we do with it and what else do we love? And where on that list of priorities of our loves does self come? That's just part of human nature. We are focused on, because it's me. (laughs) You know? Something I guarantee we'll be dealing with the rest of our lives. How does my love for myself and my desire for what I want, how is that going to, how am I going to let that interact with everything else that's going in my life and my relationship with God and my relationship with other people? But as I said, I went through the list myself. It gave me some things to pray about. Now, please understand, I'm not confessing I'm some deep, horrible, terrible sinner with stuff in my closet nobody knows about that I really shouldn't be in the pulpit. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I am a man of God who still has stuff I got to deal with as God is trying to work in me to become more like Jesus. But that should be the first step. God, I want my character purified. The thing that's a little scary to me, and that especially for those of us within this building and those of you that are watching online that you're a believer, that we need to deal with is this last thing that he says is that there are people that look really good, but on the inside, they're a mess. They have the appearance of godliness. That's something that if you're really good at hiding it, that other people can't see. There could be any number of people that are here today or those of you that are watching online that you look really good. If someone were to ask you, say, hey, what do you think about such and so's relationship with God? Oh, they're a really good Christian. Oh, Lord. Yeah, yeah. But on the inside, it's not that way, and only you know that. And you know, sometimes we can even deceive ourselves. But the thing is, is that to deceive ourselves, we have to ignore what God's Word says. I'm not trying to bring about any kind of unjust condemnation, self-condemnation, that you sit there worrying, oh my, am I really a Christian or not? I really thought I was. Compare yourself to the list. Compare yourself to God's standards. For every area of your life. Are you conforming and living according to God's standards? Or have you bypassed them or shoved them aside? Or made excuses for why you're different? Don't allow yourself to have a form of godliness, but something is wrong in your heart and you're deliberately ignoring it. But I want to be very, very quick 
to say that this is something the church desperately needs. And when I say the church, I do mean our church, but I mean the church in general. Unfortunately, because of false teaching, because of the efforts of our enemy, because of cultural pressures, there is so much that is creeping into the church in general that doesn't belong there. And some churches even changing their standards, their, their, their proclamation of truth because of cultural pressure. The church needs to be purified. And it's so easy to say that. But when it comes down to it, what influence do I have that the, that the universal church gets purified? Absolutely none in general, but the only influences I have over where I have influence, which is this church. What influence do you have? You don't have any great influence over the church all over the world, but you do have influence over yourself and over your relationships. We need to purify our character. To be honest with you, I, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned one of the things about this last time is that persecution is increasing for true believers, and it could get bad. And I have said this all my life. I don't pray for it. I don't want it. But persecution against true believers could be one of the best things that would ever happen to the church because it would purify it. We need purification. And you can all agree with me, and I'm glad you might, but it's got to start with me. It's got to start with me. Purify your character. But here, here's the thing. The good news is it can be done. Now, we can't do it by ourselves. I mean, the, the way I put it, purify your character, we can't do it all by ourselves. This is not just a uh, make yourself a better person sermon. Um, we, can't, we can make some progress that way, but we, we can't do it all by ourselves. We must have God's help. But it's a whole different topic, a whole different sermon, so I can't preach it. But God's promise that his Holy Spirit that dwells within us, if we are a Christian, will help us become the person he calls us to be. You can read it later in Galatians chapter 5. It talks about, the works of the flesh. It's another one of those lists of these sins and stuff that we got to battle with because of our sinful human nature. But he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the working of the Spirit in your life, as you cooperate with God's Spirit, He can empower you to be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control, and all these other things. God's Holy Spirit. But you know what? The most important thing, or the most foundational thing I would say is that if you happen to be here today or you're watching online or you're listening to this or watching this later, is that you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Because as I said, this is not just some kind of sermon or instructions about be a better person, as wonderful as that could be. But it's that we are bound up in sin. We are born in sin. And sin is just at the center of our being from the very beginning. And we need to be saved from our sins. Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, physical, spiritual, everything. Separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus, God himself, came to earth, became man, lived the perfect life that none of us ever can. And died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. That's the gospel in a nutshell. So yes, we got all this stuff we got to work on in our lives, but we need God's help. But the most foundational thing is that we turn to Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive us of our sins 
and to come into our lives and that we put our trust in him rather than ourselves. But the good news is that God can change anybody. And you all are testimony to that. We could all give testimony. Every one of us has a different one of what we came from, where we are now, and where we hope to be. I love this testimony that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. It's another one of these lists. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. God's made it very clear. All these different manifestations of sin in our lives, and we all have them, will keep us out of God's kingdom, will keep us out of heaven. That's why Jesus had to come. But I love the way he goes on in verse 11. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I want to deal real quickly with this issue. There's so much pushback in our society about lifestyles and attitudes and activities and actions and things that we do and so many things that are contrary to God's word. And the reason, the excuse, if people even want to go so far to talk about the spirituality of it is this. I was born this way. Why would God make me this way if it's not okay? I want to tell you something. Each and every one of us are born with a sinful nature. And it manifests itself in different ways. Some people are more prone to lying. Some people are more prone to taking advantage of others. Some are more prone to sexual immorality. Some are more prone. It doesn't matter what it is. Some are more prone to outbursts and negative expressions of anger. I mean, we hear that one. Well, you know, I know I got a temper, but I'm Irish or whatever it is. You know, I heard one person put it this way, and this is what's so cool, is that no matter what you wrestle with, you need to compare what you wrestle with with God's word. And if God's word says one thing and you are wrestling with something... You still got to deal with that, and God will help you to deal with that. And I heard a preacher say it this way. It's that we were born that way. We're all born with sinful nature, but that's why we've got to be born again. So we can have that sinful nature dealt with. You know, Jesus, in issuing his call, he says, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself. Doesn't matter what you want. Not, not say it doesn't matter. No matter what you want, no matter what you feel, no matter what you struggle with, no matter what you want to give yourself over to, when you compare it to God's word, you've got to deny yourself. It's a different struggle for each of us. You need to take up your cross, which basically means you need to do that and live that no matter what it costs you, even if it costs you your life, and then follow Jesus. That's what following Jesus is all about. It's not just about praying some simple little prayer. That's how we get started. It's a very simple prayer to be made right with God, but then we begin to live that life, and it becomes, as I said earlier, spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. We need to purify our character. There are two more. The other two are shorter, I promise. Second one is this, is prioritize your loves. Prioritize your loves. What do I mean by that? There's a number of loves that are mentioned in this passage. 
these particular people that are opposed to living against, living outside of God's plan and purpose, it says that they love themselves, verse 2. They love money, verse 2. They love pleasure, verse 4. They're all tied together. And what don't they love? In verse 3, it calls them heartless, and we discover that means they don't love others. They don't love what is good, that's in verse 3. They don't love God, which is in verse 4. You see, there's the potentiality of loving a lot of different things and a lot of different people. Now, there are certain loves that are reserved. I love my wife in a way that I can love no one else. I don't want to love anyone else, and I'm not going to love anyone else. But as we mentioned recently, I can't remember it was last week or whatever, but God says we need, to, we need to love everybody. Love your spouse, love your kids, love your parents, love your family, love your friends, love one another in the body of Christ, love the world around you, and he even goes so far as to love your enemies. But it's interesting that in the midst of all these character traits, love, 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 that passion inside of us is directed towards something. And I would say that one of the things that we can do, one of the things we should do to apply this message is to make sure that we have prioritized our loves. And I could do a whole message on this, have in the past, maybe in the future. But can I just tell you what God's word teaches us? First of all, we should love God. Then we should love others. And then we love ourselves. What does that mean? As I live my life and I live it the way I want to live it, that is under the authority of God. God, is this the way you want me to live my life? Is this something you have for me? And then as I'm going through with it, how does my desire and my love for myself and wanting what I want, how does that affect the people around me? And many times it means that I have to say to myself, well, I really would like this, but I'm going to love my spouse. I'm going to love my family. I'm going to love my brother and sister in Christ. So you know what? I'm going to deny myself. I really want this. I really like to do this, but I'm not going to because I love God first and I love other seconds before myself. There's nothing wrong with loving yourself. Just don't put it first. You know, that's what, what, what God was saying when he, when he, through Paul, talked about the family and he said, husbands, love your wives. The whole thing is have the whole point is not have warm, ushy-gushy feelings. It's be committed to your wives and want what's best for them, even if it means saying no to what you want. Anyway, that's a, that's a whole other sermon. But all I'd say is that we need to regularly reevaluate and adjust our behavior as far as our loves. But, you know, some might say, well, how do I change how I love? How do I change who I love? How do, you know, we often think of love as a feeling, and love includes feelings. And I'm so glad for them, but love is not primarily a feeling. Love is a commitment. That's the only way we can love our enemies. We're not going to get these warm, ushy-gushy feelings toward our enemies. We make a commitment to what's best for them. That's what love is. So if you want to change your loves, change your commitments and how you live out your commitments. You know, Jesus said something in a totally different context. He talked about how we need to live our lives in such a way that we're storing up treasure in heaven instead of on earth. But he said this statement in Matthew 6, 21. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He didn't say where your heart is, that's where you're going to put your treasure, although that's true. What you have a passion for, you're going to put your treasure. What's your treasure? Your treasure is your time, your abilities, your money. Whatever you have a passion for, that's where you're going to invest your time, abilities, and money. But you know what? I believe Jesus worded that way on purpose. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. 
If your heart's not in the right place, start putting your treasure where it needs to be. Start investing your time, your energies and abilities, your money in the kingdom of God, in your marriage, in your family, in what's best for the people around you, and you will begin to see your heart begin to move in that direction. All right, well, let's go on. Third one, third way of application. Purify your character, prioritize your loves, and protect your relationships. Protect your relationships. That last phrase that we kind of skipped over, said we'd deal with it again, avoid such people. These people have these character traits. Does that mean that we should stay away from unbelievers or just those that have these character traits? And if so, to what degree? And if so, how do we reach them? I think we all understand the importance of relationships in our lives. Our relationships tremendously impact our lives. So we need to be careful about the people that we are in relationship with and to what degree. So this is very, very important. It's a major theme in First and Second Timothy. I mentioned earlier is these false teachers and their influence in the church. When you read these two books in particular and then other letters in the New Testament, you find that these false teachers were people that had come into the church and they were unrepentant, they were obstinate, they were problem causers, and they were destroying the church. Those are the people that Paul is saying avoid them. In fact, he even goes so far as to say, get them out of the church. They're false teachers. They're unrepentant. They're not willing to respond to what God is doing. God still loves them. God still reaches out to them, but they are unrepentant. They're obstinate. They're deliberately trying to cause problems. In fact, if you read past verse 5 in this passage, he immediately jumps in and says, from among these type of people are the false teachers we're talking about. They worm their way in. They take advantage of women. They have sex with women, and they distribute their false teaching and all that kind of stuff. These are the kind of people that he's talking about. They're causing destruction in the church. Avoid these. Let me give you a couple of points and then we're going to wrap this up. Because there's a way this applies to not just what might be happening in the church, but our relationship with people in the world and all that kind of stuff. And the first point is this. Paul is mainly concerned with relationships inside the church, not outside. What do I mean by that? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 to 13, Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate, a previous letter, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you'd need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. What he's basically saying is people in the world act like people in the world. Why in the world would you expect them to do differently? They don't have God in their lives. And if you avoid having relationship with them, you'll never make a difference. He says the people you've got to be careful about, the people you've got to be guarded against, is the people who claim to be a brother and sister in Christ, and they are deliberately disobeying God's rules, his standards, his lifestyle. They're saying, yeah, I love Jesus, but I don't mind doing this. Yeah, I love Jesus, but, you know, and and it's very clear because it's just a profession. If you just, I can't even take time to go into that. You know, we see this in our membership standards. We're having a membership class this afternoon, and we're going to talk all about who we are, what we believe, where we're going, all that kind of stuff. And, 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 you know, for those that want to become a member of our church, 
an official voting member, that's a whole other issue. But anyway, you know, there's certain qualifications they have to meet. And one of the qualifications is that they're living for the Lord. That doesn't mean they have to be perfect because if that was the case, I couldn't be a member. It just means that they're a believer. They've committed their lives to Jesus Christ. They're a Christian, but they're also committed to following what God's word says about their lifestyle. And they're actively working on living that way. And that's what we see here. Paul's not as much concerned about relationships outside the church as inside. The second thing is we may need to cut some relationships off, but only as a last resort. When we're following Jesus, there are some relationships we may need to cut off. And, you know, I get asked, have been asked all the length of my ministry, well, how do I know whether this relationship's good for me or not? And it's like, you know, with an unbeliever, it's who's influencing whom? If you're strong enough that you can have a relationship, and you should be growing stronger all the time, working on that. If you're strong enough to have a relationship with an unbeliever and them not pull you down, keep up that relationship. God's using you in their life. But if you find that you're in a relationship with someone that despite your best efforts and everything, they are pulling you down, they're drawing you into sin, they're getting you into situations, you may need to cut off that relationship, at least for a while. The last one, because we need to uh, wrap this up. If there is hope, keep loving and reaching out to non-believers. Now, I said that when Paul said that at the end of verse 5, avoid these people... I knew he wasn't talking about all of them. The reason why is because if you jump up to chapter 2, if you're still in 2 Timothy 3, okay, you may have closed your Bible now, that's fine, but if you're still there, look at the chapter right before that. The verse is right before what we read. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 to 26. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, there's even hope for some of the false teachers. This is what he says. He says, in the Lord's servant, talking about someone who's serving God, and in Timothy's case, he's a pastor, must not be quarrelsome, But kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So obviously Paul's not telling Timothy to avoid anybody that has any of these tendencies because he just said, even in the case of the false teachers, if they're willing to sit down and talk with you and you're able to try to share the truth with them and they're at all open to hear it and to receive it, don't give up on them because God might use you. That's why we've said many, many times, anybody is welcome to come to this church. Don't care what their beliefs are. Don't care what their lifestyle is unless they've come to cause problems. But our goal is that they would know Jesus Christ and begin to live for him. Going back to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Things are getting worse in the world in general. They may get much worse before they get better. And they may not even get better much before the end. But God is still in control. God is still in control. And that's what I want us to end with today. I know this is kind of a heavy message, but there's a lot of heavy stuff in God's word. And we've got to deal with the heavy as well as the light. But remember, God's in control. Let's all stand together. As we wrap up the service today, 
We've got a lot to go home and think about and pray over, maybe examine ourselves. Maybe some things we've got to ask God to forgive us for. Maybe ask for his help to change some things. I hope that everybody, I hope we all goes through all that. But before we conclude with a time of prayer, in fact, I'm going to go ahead and ask our elders, prayer team members, Pastor Jan, you know, to come forward. We're going to do that like we usually do. If you have need for anything, we want to pray for you before we wrap up. But before we do that, you just say, I'm here today. I need Jesus as my Savior. I already talked about it, talked about why we need Jesus as our Savior, talked about how to have Jesus as my Savior, confess our sins, turn our lives over him, put our trust in him. And you say, I need Jesus as my Savior. Would you just raise your hand up? Nothing to be ashamed of. Most everybody in this room has done this. So I need Jesus as my Savior. Anybody, you need Jesus as your Savior. You want to surrender your life to him today. Anybody at all. I pray and hope that if anybody's dealing with anybody's heart that's watching online, that you would do that today. At this summer, worship team is going to lead us in a song. Worship, or just listen to them worship, and you be praying in your mind what God's laid on your heart about this message. But if you want or need prayer for yourself or somebody else that you care about, come, let us pray with you. And in just a couple of moments, one of our uh, pastoral staff will close in prayer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word that's been brought forth today. I pray, oh God, it would challenge every one of us, Father. God, to compare ourselves to your word and be willing to change in the areas you point out to us. Give us the ability to do that. Give us the heart, the desire to seek your face and to walk in obedience to your word. And God, I pray as we leave this house today, God, we would enter into the mission field as we walk out the doors and we would be your shining light to everyone we come in contact with. May your love radiate through us, through our words, through our actions, through our deeds. God, I pray your blessings upon your people today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 